You know, it's, in a lot of ways, it's easy to, uh, just say, here I am to worship and to sing the songs. Then actually live that out. That's not always as easy, is it? Hey, God wants our worship in spirit and in truth. And I pray that as we talk about some things that are kind of challenging to talk about, that, that we'll have the ability to follow through and not just worship with our voices and our mouths, but also worship with our hearts as well. well we are in week three of our Generosity Revolution series. Is that exciting? How many of you are loving this stuff? You can't get enough? Just bring it on, baby. Another week, six more weeks, you're good to go, right? And probably some of us are like, not again, not again, because this is hard. Generosity is not an easy subject. I think a lot of us, well, none of us are really born with that generous gene. And I was just thinking as we were worshiping that, that that's something that is just, I think it's a substance of our nature, just to be all about me, me, me and not about what God wants. So this is, is challenging, but I pray that as we take a few weeks to really allow this to speak to us, that God will change our hearts, that he'll reveal some of the ugliness in our hearts and begin to change us for his glory so that we can be more like him. And I am no stranger. Uh, just last night I was praying, and I was just... I think just God revealed to me how ugly, how selfish that I am. Where sometimes it seems like if you're doing the right things, you know, you just kind of, you give yourself the okay, like you're okay. But when you're with God and you re, you're in this pure, you, you just experience him, like he reveals our flaws in a way that nobody else can. And so I am not, I'm not really talking to you, this is, this is a stretch, I think, for all of us. But we want to be generous. Are you a generous person? Are you a generous family? And are we a generous church family? Are we? Isaiah 32, 8 says that generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. Now here's a spoiler. At the end of this message, I'm going to ask you to do what the Bible says. I'm going to ask you to plan to be generous. I'm going to ask you to take steps towards being part of a generosity revolution. Alright? Because, but, and what looks like generosity to you may look completely different from somebody else, and that's okay. That's okay. But again, I pray that God will reveal some things to us, and out of that will be revealed some practical steps of what this might look like for us. Alright? So that's coming at the end. You've been warned. It's coming. But until then, listen to this story. A rundown old man lived in a rundown old house. It was the neighborhood rumor that he had claimed squatter's rights years ago, and no one ever contested his claim. From time to time, he could be seen shuffling around the neighborhood, pushing a wobbly grocery cart, looking for discarded treasures. No matter the weather, he was always dressed in the same ragged old clothes. But now it had been weeks since anyone had seen him. So one of his kind neighbors called Dustin Fickett, called the police. Upon entry, the officers found his lifeless body, and the coroner reported he had died of starvation. After his death, the residents petitioned the city council to demolish his rundown dwelling. 
And a search of the records revealed that he was not a squatter, but that he owned the house free and clear. And after no descendants were discovered, the order was given to destroy the dwelling. However, when the workers began to dismantle the house, they found the weirdest insulation stuffed into the walls, under the floors, and crammed under every nook and cranny in the structure. The insulation was actually stock certificates and securities worth millions of dollars. This hermit who had lived in such poverty for so many years was actually quite rich. And though he could afford the finest of food and the best of restaurants, he ended up starving to death. The old man was indeed rich in possessions, yet utterly poor because he did not use what was right in his hands. And he hoarded the things that could have made his life totally different. So certainly as a steward, he failed miserably. But his pitiful life reminds us of this lesson. What matters most is not what we hold, but how we use what we have. What matters most in life is not what we hold, but how we use what we have. Generosity is using God-given resources for His glory and for the good of others. And at Southside, we want to be a generous church. We want to have a culture of generosity. We want this to be in our DNA. And uh, recently, the elders appointed Dustin Veldkamp as the interim treasurer. And uh, next week, during an annual meeting, we'll be able to affirm his position in that role. But Dustin is an entrepreneur. He's, uh, he's also served as a treasurer and an elder at his previous church in Minnesota. He and his family have been in the Sheboygan area for about three years, almost, and about two and a half at Southside. And uh, during this time, he's revealed what a generous person that he is. And I'm going to invite him up, and uh, we get to hear a little bit of his story. But Dustin is a friend of mine, and again, I've known his generosity because I've seen it in action many, many times. His family has blessed us so often. And we get, I'm excited because we get to hear his story a little bit about why he's that way and how God changed his heart and revealed some things to him during that time. So, welcome Dustin, everybody. Thank Glad you. you're here. Okay. Notice the height difference. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever hugged somebody who's like seven inches taller than you are. It's weird. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Mike keeps saying he looks up to me. I don't know if it's literally, <laughs> literally or figuratively. But uh, thank you. Thank you, Michael. That was really, really nice. Uh, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story today. Absolutely. I, I have not always been a generous person, and I don't want you to get me wrong. Um, I, have, I grew up in a very traditional household, and I have really tithed ever since I was a, a young kid. Paper out, I tithe my 10%. I've always done my 10%. And in the past, I always thought... That was that made me generous, but it wasn't until just a couple of years ago, or recently in the past couple of years, that I've realized that the tithing actually isn't necessarily correlated to true generosity. I really wasn't generous just because I was tithing, and let me explain. My uh, my family, my parents, uh, a number of years ago decided at Christmas, they changed, they started a tradition, and one. Christmas, we all got together, and they handed each of the kids uh, cash in an envelope. And uh, the cash wasn't for us. Uh, it was for us to spend throughout the following year and to give away. Uh, no ties to how we give it away or who we give it away to, but just to give us the freedom to give this away and bless people. And so Jenny and I, my wife Jenny and I, got the privilege of being Santa Claus for the entire year. It was, it was a blast. It was an awesome experience. You know, people, you know, just random things would come up, and we'd be like, oh, 
this is a great opportunity. Let's, let's help this person out. Uh, we had some friends of ours who are in the process of adopting, really expensive adoption, and just out of the blue, we were able to bless them with a, a, a large chunk of money that they weren't expecting, and that was just, it was such a fun experience uh, for us to do that. And it was actually through that experience, the adoption giving experience, where I had my light bulb moment. And I realized at that moment that what I was giving wasn't mine. I was just a steward of my parents' money. Sure, I had the cash in my bank account. Um, I, I was given the freedom to give it how I wanted, but I was giving in a way that would honor my parents and make them excited and happy and proud of how I spent it. Uh, and to, to build on that, at the end of the year, the following year, we would get together as a family and they would ask, how did you spend it? And my siblings would all share. We'd celebrate together. We'd be excited together about, you know, look at, look at, what, look at what they did. Look what we did. It was, so, it was so much fun to see how it was mm. spent. And then our checkbooks would get replenished again to give again. And it's become a tradition, and it's become an awesome, tr- awesome tradition in that way. I like it. But um, in that, it was actually through that that I learned, you know, true generosity for me, um, wasn't tithing. I could have been giving 50% or 20% or 5%. Um, True generosity was when I got to the point and through this experience that I realized that everything I have, my time, my talent, my treasure, it's not mine. And when I got to, when I came to the point of realization that you know, if I gave this cash away or if I gave someone some money, it wasn't that I wasn't going to eat that night. It wasn't my money in the first place. That's when giving became generous for me. It was freeing. Uh, it was awesome. And uh, I won't say I didn't struggle with it. I'm human. Uh, I'm human. Michael mentioned I'm an entrepreneur. I'm always doing things. And... Um, you know, career was really important to me, and, you know, I struggled. I asked myself the question, you know, what about, you know, Dustin, you created this career. You look at all this stuff. Look what you've done for yourself. This is amazing. And I've had to always catch myself and say, Dustin, who gave you that talent? I had to stop and ask Dustin, who gave you that time? Psalm 90, God did. Dustin, who gave you that property? Luke 16, God did. Dustin, who gave you this group of people around you to support you? Acts 20, God did. And the list goes on and on. See, God has given, I believe God has given each of us special talents, treasure, and time to use. And I think he wants us to ask ourselves, how do I spend my time in a way that I realize that it isn't mine? How do I spend my treasures in a way that I realize it isn't mine? How can I spend my talent in a way that I realize it isn't mine? And then once I understood that, then generosity and giving truly changed for me. Now, like I said, I could have been tithing 50%. You know, really, um, the issue, once I understood that, 
the, the true issue for me really came up, and the issue was trust. Let me explain. You know, the issue wasn't how much stuff I had. It wasn't how much I'm giving, how much I'm tithing. It was trust. So let's say, let's go back to the, the experience of my parents giving me cash. Let's say the next, the following year, um, I got back with my family. We all got together, and they asked, all right, so, so how did you spend it? Who did you give it to? What, you know, how did you bless someone who needed it? And I said, you know, kind of forgot to spend it. Or I really don't know where it all went. You know, if I told my parents, you know, I just, it just kind of, you know, the year just kind of slipped by and uh, there just wasn't any money left at the end and I, I really don't know where I went it. Do you think they would have, do you think they would have replenished the checkbook the next year? Probably not. Um, you know, I heard someone once call God uh, God, describe God as one of the wisest venture capitalists in the entire eternity, in all of eternity. And that's always stuck with me. Because I believe that the reason sometimes I don't get opportunities, or maybe we don't get opportunities, or the reason we may not ex- be experiencing everything God has in store for us is because we, or I, may not be faithful in what he has given us. I'm a parent. If a child, if my child has totaled a car three times and comes to me and wants, wants the keys to a car again, um, am I going to give him the keys to the car for the fourth time? Of course not. You know, he's shown over and over again not to be faithful in what I had given him or her. And it's going to take time for him to build up that trust again. So I have to ask myself, can God trust me? Can he trust me with more resources? Can he trust me with more time? Can God trust you? Luke 16, 10-12 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? See, I believe as Christians, we need generous people. Generous people where God can look into their heart and say, I can trust them with more time. I can trust them with more talent. I can trust them with more treasure. So how do we become generous stewards, trustworthy generous stewards, uh, I've got three, three basic starting points um, that have worked well for me. First, it's we have to give our first and best. Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. The key word here is first fruits. God doesn't say, you know, with what's ever left at the end of the month, you know, or what's ever left at the end of the paycheck, you know, give, give what I have. He says, no, first fruits, first, and your best. Second point um, is giving needs to be systematic and regular. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. This is how I, now that 
I recognize none of, none of what I am and what I have is mine. This is, how I, this is how I live my life. On the first day, notice a repeat there. First, it's not the last day, not the second day. On the first day of every week. Pay attention to the word every. God doesn't say, you know, only on weeks when the bonus check comes in. Only on weeks when um, you don't have a car breakdown or some emergency comes up. He says every week. Set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Pastor Michael um, showed a a verse, Isaiah uh, 32, verse 8 earlier. But generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Plan. You're noticing a trend? None of this is accidental or just kind of happens. We, God commands us to purposely give our first and best, purposely give systematic and regularly, and plan to do it. And then finally, uh, the third is worshipful. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, I think when you understand that what you have and what you're giving isn't yours, giving changes. How you give and how you feel about it changes. You become a cheerful giver. So the next, next slide is a slide that you saw last week that Pastor John put up on the screen. Um, I've, I feel it's a powerful slide. And I'm going to go back into Luke 16, verses uh, 10 through 11 where it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Going back to describing God as the ultimate venture capitalist of eternity, uh, a venture capitalist invests in companies, and if a company does really well, gets a return of 50%, what's the venture capitalist going to do? He's going to invest more in that. He wants to. You know, we serve uh, a God with a cattle on a thousand hills. I, I believe what Jesus in the Bible, biblically, wants us to understand is that there isn't scarcity in this equation. God is way bigger than we can possibly imagine. And I feel like I, I need to put myself, I know I need to put myself in check, and I challenge the congregation to ask yourselves, put yourself in the Father's shoes. Have you been faithful in what God has entrusted you with? If you were him, would you invest in yourself? See, I believe God prospers me to raise my standard of giving, not just my standard of living. So as treasurer, um, interim treasurer of the church, we're going to be bringing some practical, practical ways um, that we can plan, we can give our first fruits, we can be systematic and regular, um, to the church, some training uh, in the upcoming weeks, and uh, there'll be more more on that. Um, there'll be more on that uh, as more announcements on that as we go. Thank you.
Uh, quick question. Yes. Help us understand this graph, because I don't yes. think everybody was probably oh. here last week, so they're looking at this and like, oh, what does that mean? So what, what this means, Michael, is this is a breakdown of the giving of our church. Now, there's no names to the faces, but all those little people is one giving unit within our church. Which one are you? So I don't know. Okay. And, everyone, and, <laughs> and quite, well, I do know, but it actually, I, the right answer to me is it doesn't matter. Um, because I could be giving 50% um, and not be generous. Um, a generous person, uh, a true generosity understands that what, is, it's, what they have is not theirs, and they're, just, mm. they're giving out of their heart the percent that God calls them to. But this is a challenge of there are half of, half of our church giving comes from 14 units. So um, about 10% of the congregation gives half of the giving. Mm. And looking at this, this is where I look at this and I, a- I have to ask myself, um, am, I, am, I a, am I a generous giver and can God trust me um, and does, it should, does God want to invest in me based on where I am at? Am I giving my first and best? Am I giving, am I planning to give? Or is it just, am I just letting life happen and giving with what's, what's left at the end? And we all know life happens and there's not much left at the end. And I'm not just talking money either. This is time, this is talent, and treasure. Um, money is just a, a symptom of, the true, of true spirituality. It's not... Uh, um, it's not the main thing. Great. Thank Great. you. Thank you. Good. Great. To the hand. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I love you, man. Yeah, Dustin is a great guy to know. Their family is awesome, and uh, if you haven't met them or don't really know them, you're gonna get flocked now. Just yeah, I'd encourage you because they are great people. And I just appreciate their desire to to follow after God. And just, they really are a living testimony of, of this. So thank you so much. So we saw the graph. How are, how are we doing with our stewardship? How's that working for us? How are we doing? Because here's the thing. I think if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, I think most of us, probably trust God to provide for our needs, right? We trust him to provide for our needs, but not necessarily our wants, right? And I think that's maybe where the struggle comes in. Again, last night, God was showing me some of my own selfishness and my greed. Listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12. He says, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And if we're focusing on stuff and we're ignoring that relationship, and the closer we are in relationship with him, the more like him we're going to be, the more generous and loving we're going to be, because we'll have his fruit of his spirit. If we focus on this stuff without all of that, we're completely missing it as a church, as a body of Christ. And unfortunately, this is a mentality that is very prevalent in our Western culture. Most Americans are obsessed with striving to acquire as much as possible, and never before in human history have we had so much. 
that we had so much and we're often unsatisfied with what we have and we want more and more and more. And never before have we been so consumed with entertainment and, and having a good time and self-fulfillment. And even as we continue to strive for all of these things, we're finding that discontentment and depression rates continue to rise because we're focused on the wrong things. We're focused on things that don't really matter and our longings are never satisfied. When I was originally going to, to Bible college to be a pastor, and I won't go to how long ago that was, that's okay, but Jess and I, we got married about a year into our, our college life, and if I remember correctly, the very first year we got our W-2s back and we looked at our income, it was like $13,000 for that year. Like, how does that even work? That's not very much. And I was presented with an opportunity to make $3,000 a month extra, above and beyond this. And it would be residual income, so I could just do what I wanted to do, and this would just kind of make money on its own, right? And that was pretty cool. So I jumped at the opportunity, and the idea was I was going to take a year off of school and work really hard to make this happen, and then I'd come back and I'd finish my school. Good intentions, but that didn't really happen. It didn't happen because the work was not good. I didn't like to do it. It stunk. It was hard. And so we were encouraged to go dream building. Dream building. And we had to paint this great picture of what life could be. Now that's not so bad if you're just thinking, man, if we just had a little more of a cushion where we didn't have to live paycheck to paycheck, just imagine if it wasn't so stressful all the time. It'd be nice to be able to do this. But what we had to do is we had to make our dream as big as possible. And we went looking at the biggest houses and most beautiful houses and mansions. We went in and looking at luxury cars and these big beautiful cars and expensive jewelry. We were checking out vacation packages and just imagining how great life would be if we could do and have all of this stuff. And then what happened is this became my God. I literally thought about this day and night. I dreamed about it. I wanted it. And that whole idea of being in the ministry and being a pastor, it didn't really have the same appeal anymore because I had it in my head that this is what I wanted. This is what I wanted. I wanted to live the life, and I thought I deserved it. I thought I deserved it. And that's what our culture tells us in just about every commercial we watch, in every advertisement that we see, we're sold the same lie that we will be happy if only. If only. If only we get that new boat. Or if only we get that new car, that new motorcycle, that big, beautiful house. Or maybe a new wardrobe. Maybe it's not even money things. Maybe it's a new lifestyle or a new relationship. We'll be happy if only. And before long, we become increasingly discontent with what we have. And the reality is that most of us, most of us have much more than we would ever need. And how many of us have strived and worked so hard to get that thing, to get this new thing that we've wanted and we spent months and years trying to get it, and then when we get it, we find out, yeah, that was okay, but didn't really do what I thought it would. What's next? And we go looking at the next best thing. I've been guilty about this myself. I'm looking at my wife and she's just, yeah, that's you, honey. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But again, let's listen to the words of Jesus. Life is not measured 
by how much you own. And the thing is, God has created within us a deep longing, a longing in our hearts, and the reality is that can only be fulfilled in Him. And we often look for other stuff to, to fill this need that we have, but it's not going to work. And the question I would have is, how many of us are shortchanging ourselves? How many of us are shortchanging ourselves because we don't realize that when we pursue all of these things, when we pursue all these things, that we are settling for something far less than God, His best. And as we were singing this song, Overwhelmed, I'm just thinking, you know, God made us for Himself, for communion, and that was what, that was all that we needed. And I think we've kind of, we get off track so easy. Look at this story with me in Mark chapter 10. I think most of us have probably heard this before. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy's excited. And Jesus asked, Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And the guy is excited. He said, teacher, I've been doing this my whole life. Since I was young. And then so it gets interesting. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. It says that in the scripture. And he says, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions. And then give the money to the poor. And then come and follow me and you will have treasures in heaven. And you know the story, the man went away sad. His face fell because he had many possessions. Now what do you think of when you hear this story? What do you think of when you hear this story? What happens when we start to personalize this and start to put ourselves in the place of that man? What happens? You know, I've known some people that just said, oh, I'm so thankful that God does not ask that of me. Right? Because we don't want to lose it. We don't want to lose it. But did you catch what the scripture said? It said Jesus loved him. Before he said this stuff, Jesus loved him. He felt genuine love for him. And then he said, if you want to be perfect, you're going to do this. Now back some years ago in my home group, I remember we talked about this thing. We were examining this, or we were going through this curriculum called Radical. You know, and it was like mind-blowing. But we were looking at the scripture, and I remember us wrestling with it so much. Like, what does this mean? Do I have to give up everything and sell my house and then go live like a hermit? You know? And of course, God doesn't ask us, everybody to do that. He may, but he doesn't. But I remember us wrestling with this. And I think, as I remember and I look back, what we focused on was what we would give up, what we would have to give away, what we would lose. And we missed the whole second piece of it and you will have treasures in heaven. I don't think we thought about that at all. We were so focused on what we would lose. And I think Jesus, in his love for us, he knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what we would be giving up, and he knows exactly what we would be gaining. Do you know that? And he says, this is better. This is better. Don't hold on to this stuff. Are we settling for trinkets when Jesus is waiting to give us the treasures of heaven? Exactly like Dustin had said, can he trust us? 
If we are faithful in little things, he can trust us to be faithful in large ones. He can't trust us with worldly wealth. He's not going to trust us with true riches as heaven. So what has God placed in our hands? What has God placed in our hands and what might we be missing out on because Jesus is still waiting for us to get this right? What might that be? Can he trust us? And again, Justin, or Dustin said this. When we talk about generosity, we often talk about money, but generosity is much more than money. But money is also a clear indication of our generosity. But what about other things? How can we be generous with other things? What would that look like? What about our time? What about our talents and our skills? What about all the stuff that he's given to us? Because all that stuff also, just like our money, it's not ours, it's his, and he has given it. He's entrusted to it. He entrusted that to us. Are we generous with what God has entrusted to us? Now, I know a number of people that look at their time as part of their tithe. And that's kind of a crazy concept. So they tithe off of their income, but they also tithe off of their time. All right? And I know some of you guys are the ones that are really busy. You're thinking, how is that even possible? I don't have like 20 minutes, much less two and a half hours. Right? And probably some of you analytical ones are wondering, like, okay, is that on the gross or is that the net? <laughs> is, is, is that, does that count sleeping hours or is that non-sleeping hours? You know, don't stress too much about the details, but let's look at the idea. The idea, and let's take the principle and let's see what that might mean for us. So at the beginning of the message, I said, I said that I was going to ask you to do what the Bible says, to, to plan to plan to do what's generous because it's not just going to come naturally. And for many of us, that might be related to our checkbooks. It might be. For other of us, maybe not. But I love the picture that Dustin shared with us. And I don't know if you said it exactly this way, but I took note of it earlier this week. So here is our Dustin Veldkamp quote. My life is a checkbook that God fills with time, talent, and treasure. My life is a checkbook. I love that picture. I love that picture. Now imagine, imagine what we could do if more people had the same type of mentality. If people, God's people, were saying, my life is a checkbook that he fills with time, talent, and treasure. Imagine the impact that we could have on those around us. Imagine the impact that we as a church could have on our community. Imagine the impact that Christians, that the church could have on the world. What if we all lived like this? What could we do? What could God do if we would allow him to? Now, I know there are a number of us here that have an awful lot to give in terms of our time and of our talents and, and our money. And for whatever reason, maybe we've been holding back, holding back for the perfect opportunity, the right moment. And I want to encourage you now to take the steps. Take the steps. A thousand miles journey does not happen until you begin with that first step. Let's start to take some steps to get there. You can get involved at Southside. There's a number of places that need you and your heart and the skills that God has given you. We are a church family and we want to give back Right? So right now, 
there are a bunch of little kids down in Kid Connect, and they're learning about God, they're learning his story, and they're learning how to practically live out, how to connect with Jesus on a daily basis. And maybe that stirs, maybe you love kids, maybe you love teaching. What a great opportunity to invest in the life of a child. And I see some of our faithful volunteers who are there a lot. Thank you so much for that. And I know right now they have a special need for a pre-K. You know, so if, that, if that's something that speaks to you, think about doing that. Get involved. Or rush. We, got, we had 170 kids here, teenagers here, uh, last week on a Wednesday night. And I would love to be able to tell you all the things that God is doing in the lives of these students at Rush. It is so cool. It is so cool. Maybe that's something that, that resonates in you. And if you don't have time during the week, you can serve in our Connections team and just get here a little bit early on a Sunday morning. There's things you can do here to be a part of it and to serve and just to welcome people. Uh, there's a deacon team, and they're doing stuff all around the church at different times. They're just doing service things and stuff. And if you have a desire to do something like that, you can talk to Jeff Clapp, our head deacon, or the trustees and help around with the, the things in the church if you're handy and stuff. Or just in the nursery. Just in the nursery. You can love on a little kid. We've got kids, little babies coming out of our ears, and it's a cool thing. It's great. It's insane because they're just, they don't stop. But what a difference you could make. Like, we can look at the nursery and think, yeah, that, that's not really going to make any kind of a difference. But it does because you are investing yourself and you're loving on this little child, this baby. There's a place for you to connect here. And maybe if none of these are resonating, that's okay. There are other things. And maybe God has given you a special desire and he wants to, he wants to do something in there. I would love for the opportunity to talk to you and find out what he might be doing in your heart and seeing if there's something that we can do here at Southside that he's brought you here for. And maybe it's not at Southside. Maybe it's just somebody across the street. Maybe it's something in your community. But give that to God. Get involved and serve. Amen? Amen? Right, the ushers are going to come forward in just a moment. But before they do that, in front of you is a Connect card. It's blue. It's beautiful. And it's one of the many ways that we try to connect with you. I'm going to ask you to take that out and let's connect. If God is speaking to you either today or in the last few weeks about generosity and what that next step might look like, maybe it's giving, maybe it's starting to tithe for the first time, or maybe not even 10%, but it's just five because 10% seems insurmountable, but you're starting to make steps to do what you know God wants you to do. Maybe it's getting involved into one of these ministries that I was just talking about. Can you put that on your Connect card? If you're open to it, or you want to talk to somebody about it, and again, if you don't even know what that is, but you really want to serve somehow, can you write that in there? That we kind of know what's going on in your heart and what God's doing and, and how we can all get plugged in and serve each other here today. Can you do that? A lot of quiet people. All right, ushers, why don't you come forward? And uh, if you or trying to fill out a card and you don't have time to do that, you can turn them in at our Connect table out there also. So don't stress too much. It'll be okay. Um, I know that as we've talked about this, that there are a number of generous people in our congregation, and you want to give. You want to do what you believe God wants you to do. You want to give, but you are not able to. You're strapped. You can go ahead and pass those out. 
you know, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're barely surviving, you are in debt, and there just doesn't seem like it's possible, okay? And part of our job, part of what we really want is to help you be all that God wants you to be and to learn some strategies. Dustin talked about some of these principles and how to live life generously. Sometimes we don't have the means, but if we start making changes in our lives so that we can do this, um, lives change, families change. So in about a month, Dustin, the end of April? April 23rd, we're going to start Financial Peace University here. Uh, it's nine weeks. Um, it's like an hour and a half, hour and a half long. But this is something that has changed lives all over the country. And it's something that is a tool that you can use to help learn some of God's principles so that you can be free of debt, be free of the burden, the financial burden that some of us are in and will allow you to start to give generously. So that's coming up, and uh, we're going to look at the screen just for a bit. This is a taste of what it will be like.